I'm Charlie Keegan. This is the Central Wigan Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Central Wigan Podcast. This is episode 24 and it's been quite the international break for us. We've had players away with the national sides, players back here in Wigan not going to training, and then statements coming from players and the board over delayed payments of wages again. I went to the DW Stadium on Tuesday night with a group of other supporters from podcasts, fanzines, websites, and we all spoke to the, the chairman, Talal Al-Hamad, Sean Maloney, Tom Markham and Oliver Gottman, and we all asked questions that we wanted to know the answers for for quite some time. But before I dive into what was said in the meeting, I think it's important to mention that the club did answer every single question that was pitched to them and they did it in detail and every single person in attendance got the chance to speak and ask their own questions. We also pitched in with other questions as well. If somebody asked something that I then became interested in, you know, we would feed into it and not just Talal would answer the question, but then also Tom Markham would answer, Oliver Gottman would answer, Sean Maloney would give his opinion. So it really was a group effort. It's also important to say that before and after the meeting, Talal, Sean, Tom, Oliver, you know, they met every single person, shook our hands and they gave all their time to speak to us and allow even more questions to be asked on a one-on-one. It was a very civil event, which I think was what was needed. And I didn't come away from that thinking that we have missed an opportunity to ask other questions or that I felt that some answers were complete blatant lies. It's obvious that a huge amount of trust has been lost to this point. But I also feel like with this meeting and the ideas that were put forward, the accountability that the board took for their mistakes, I think it means now we can start working towards a better future for the club because this recent time has really not been any fun for anybody. And for the first hour or so, I didn't ask any questions because I wanted to observe the questions being asked from other supporters in attendance and just listen to what was being said. This was the first time I'd ever been to something like this, so I just wanted to observe it first. The first topic, which we covered extensively for about half an hour, that was the problem with the finances and the wages being paid late. We were told that a property in London, which was said to be the value of £33 million in sale value, was finalised recently and that has secured funding not just for the remainder of this season, but has also allowed concrete plans to be put in place for next season. And I've seen a lot of stick being given around with it, with the fact that this asset is a property, but it's also important to recognise that Talal Al-Hamad and Mr Al-Jazmi, they work in architecture, they work in construction, so it's no real shock that properties are being part of our asset base or pro- part of their asset base, should I say, you know, with Phoenix 2021. And it just so happens that, you know, that that's, that's the asset that they've sold going forward. My understanding is that the sale's been worked on for around six months, and it's not obviously as simple as putting your house on right move and selling it that. Talal was saying that how many lawyers are involved, surveys, completions, sign-offs, taxes, and whatever else is needed for a procedure like that. Maybe pre-pandemic assets can go a little bit quicker, but you know nowadays not so much. But obviously, should that have got to this point? No, absolutely shouldn't. We should never have to be in a situation where we pay wages late twice, let alone four or five times. And the blame wasn't really pinned on anybody last night. But from my perspective, it makes sense to see where some of the problems have laid because our CEO has obviously left the club. And that's not me to say that Mal is a bad person because what I've seen in the stories that people have shared of experiences with him, he seems like a genuinely nice guy who gave a lot of his time to support fans and staff members over the last few years. But it does sound like his job was made very difficult just with the contracts, the bonuses, the wage increases that the players got from the League One promotion. We have a wage bill that is in the top 12 of the championship standings, but we are bottom of the league and have a much lower revenue than most of the clubs in the league as well. We also have the lowest collective value in that division from widely available stats that you can see, and it is the second oldest, I think only to West Brom. But from that, the board were completely honest and said that our promotion possibly come too soon. I know Talal said that he doesn't think it was, but you know other board members were saying that it's possible it could have come a bit too soon. 
But they also said that they have no hard feelings with Mal. Even Mal even sent a text message to Talal before the meeting, basically saying no hard feelings and he wishes us the best for the future. And he is going to be back at the club as well to say goodbyes, which is great to hear. We also spoke about budgets and financial moving forward. And the board have met with the EFL to set plans for next season. We have a proof of funds. We have financial plans for the future. And the full focus now is on working within budgets to be sustainable. Although losses above 20% are fine. So say, you know, the budget is 10 million and you, you go to 12 million, that's fine. It's all going to be covered. So we do have a plan to move forward as what we were told. We also have a new commercial manager in place who's going to focus on getting these revenue streams and ensuring that they're working well just to create this financial stable future. The club are moving into a data-driven model on and off the pitch. And whilst the details of this, how it will still run, are still being put in place, Sean Maloney is heavily involved in it. And he's the understanding that he can bring to this and the insight he can bring. There's an article that the coach's voice wrote, which details his experience in working with the Belgian national team, Roberto Martinez, and all the work he's done to improve his understanding and knowledge of the industry as a whole. So that's definitely worth going and, and reading that. It, within this data-driven model and recruitment, he wants players watched at least 10 to 12 times in person, all the background checks done before lining up any potential deal to bring them to the DW. And I think if you're going to loop that back to the contracts that they had in League One, you know, with these bonuses and the, the wage increases that they were obviously promised when they came up to the championship, it looks like there's going to be a hard effort, you know, to eradicate that. If the plan, well, Talal said that the plan for the next five years is to build a club that is more sustainable. And within that fifth year, he wants to be, you know, in the top half of the championship, if not even trying to push on for the playoffs. So you're not going to achieve that with financial mismanagement like we've seen up to now with with contracts handed out. You know, I'm sure we have players on the bench or players who aren't really getting near the starting lineup who are on some serious money. And that's just not sustainable for a club like Wigan, who just a few years ago had only three players on the books. So I am interested to see how this data-driven model works and to see how our recruitment starts to adapt with that. A lot of the questions that I asked focused around our academy and the plans for the future regarding integration into our first team setup, what the aims and objectives for the club as a whole are regarding this. So my first question was about the plans for the development of the players and whether Sean Maloney wants to implement a consistent play style and a mentality all the way from the youngest age group right through to the first team which obviously will make it easier for transition up through the squads. And I gave the example that, say, you know, Josh McGuinness or Charlie White or whoever our strikers at the time, if they're really struggling at the moment in, in rough patches of form, you know, Josh Stones or Christie, if they've been brought through the academy to play a certain way that the first team wants to play, you know, that's an, it's an easier integration. Maloney said that he feels that the philosophy should adhere to what the club want and not necessarily how he wants, as should he move on in a few years, you know, I'm talking... 50 or 60 years when we might we might change change in direction and the next manager needs to be brought in with a vision in line with what the club's objectives are just so we're not changing the system again you know say Maloney moves on in four years we get another manager in who goes I want to play with this play style and philosophy and then he's starting from the ground up again he said no it needs to be what the club wants but he will also give his opinions in which again if you link back to the coach's voice article that is a really good read and and the mentality and the, the play style and the philosophy that he carries it can only be good that he's going to be a focal voice in this Maloney did also say that it's important to recognize as well that certain players will have to find their own certain strengths and sometimes when you're trying to filter a player into a certain mold you know it doesn't always work and they might not be able to find their own strength so he said he understands you know the need for a philosophy and a mentality to be to come through the academy but it's also important to let players develop their own natural game find their own strengths and then we can work with that and you know maybe maybe tweak things you know you could bring in say Luke Brennan offer something different than James McLean out on the left wing that can be really good in games so it's all about monitoring that and understanding that and nurturing these players to make sure they're 
you know, the, the development is what they need. A number of the academy players will be involved next season, he said, with Maloney happy with the profile of players that are coming through. A number of the academy players are most likely to be involved next season, and that's because of their age. You know, naturally, they need to be step up. But Sean Maloney said that he was cautious of not calling a burnout in young players by relying on them too much. You know, we've seen that in the past with players like Emma Karobi, Adam Long, Luke Robinson. They're all given a chance, but you don't want to burn them out. But Talal was really, really big on the fact that some of our best players now in the squad, you look at Charlie Hughes, Talal Asgard, Callum Lang, they all came through the academy. So the aim is to have a squad with roughly four under 21 year olds, eight who are aged 21 to 26, another eight who are aged 26 to 31, and then have a few around up to four older heads, you know, the more senior players. And he also wants to talk about getting the development squad to Christopher Park rather than the academy so that they can integrate into all the, the activity with the team. I then asked about the funding for the academy and whether we're going to put our focus on the development of the facilities more or are we going to try and put it to attracting and paying for top coaches, physios, etc., all the staff that goes with it? Maloney said that he could not be happy with Christopher Park and the facilities that we have. There's obviously going to be upgrades as we go across, but the focus is going to be on the day-to-day -day and ensuring that the players are being attracted to our setup, knowing that there are clear pathways to first-team football with strong development. I also asked about why we're not trying to get some loan deals in with Manchester City, Man United, Liverpool, Everton. These huge clubs are 20-30 minutes down the road, so I don't understand why we're not doing it. And they did say that it is something they're looking at. But, you know, there's a lot of factors that go in with that. We can't just go to them and say, we'll take some players on loan. We need to take into account wages, play styles, where we're competing in the league, how accessible the playtime is going to be to them. And But they are working on loan avenues for the future. You know, we had it in, in the past where we had Benny Beningami came from Everton. We had Kieran Dowell come from Everton. You know, we have had them links in the past. We also found a gem in Reese James. So there are gems to be found in the loan market. So... I really want us to tap into that and I hope that the Colo Torre appointment was going to work out because then we could be going into his contacts and links to try and get players in. Sean Maloney's obviously going to have his own contacts, which, you know, I really want to see in the future that we can go down these loan routes and, and start building up more of a profile of player. But obviously there was a lot that was spoke about. There was a lot of fan voices there. There was a lot of questions that were asked from voices who weren't even in attendance. You know, people made sure that they gathered questions to bring to the meeting and, and present to them. But obviously no matter how much detail we all go into about what was said, what plans there are and how Talal was keen to hear from more supporters for their ideas and feelings going forward, there's very clearly going to be always this constant negativity from those online, mainly Twitter, they will never be happy. A lot of them are faceless. You know, we could be champions of Europe and they would still complain that the club is not what it used to be under Dave Whelan. But unfortunately, that is just football and opinions are everywhere and not everybody can be pleased. My understanding is if you've got so much negativity, it means that you must have a great idea of how to improve things. So say it. Make sure that you, you message one of us or you message the club directly yourself and just say what, you, what your opinions are and say what you think your ideas are. Because if we're going to be going, say we're going to be going to League One next season, we want to implement more of a positivity in the club that we can come back to it. So if you've got an idea, try and put it across. But me personally, I think that the meeting was needed. The questions that were asked were needed and the answers given back to us that were detailed and proactive. As we've all seen mentioned, actions speak louder than words. So now we have a solid foundation of information to monitor from here on out. The board has said what they've said. We've all written it down. We've all taken what we have from it. We're all doing these podcasts and fanzines to let everybody else know what was said so everybody can monitor this from now on. You know, and the view and the plans to have more supportive voices heard going forward is there. Talal wants to meet with people two or three times a year. And he also wants the, you know, to be more of a voice surrounding the club, which, you know, it can only be a positive thing. But I want to talk more about football now and what's been going on during the international break for players before looking at the QPR game this Saturday. So we're going to dive into all that now. I think we've covered all this meeting long enough. 
So there were eight Wigan Athletic players on international duty in the past week. Will Keane, James McLean and Jamie McGrath were all representing Ireland in the Euro qualifiers. Josh McGuinness was with Northern Ireland, again in the qualifiers. Tello Asgard was with Norway under-20s for a couple of friendly games. Stephen Corker with Sierra Leone and Ryan Niambi with Namibia, both playing for the AFCON qualifiers. And Daniel Sanani was with Luxembourg for the Euro qualifiers also. Ireland played Latvia first, with James McLean the only player to feature in that first game, with 13 minutes off the bench at the end. They ended up winning that one 3-2, but they played France last, and again McLean featured to the final 13 minutes, and they lost 1-0 to a stunning Benjamin Pavard goal. If you've not watched it, go and see it. It was an absolute cracker. Jamie McGrath remained on the bench for both games, and Will Keane was involved for the first, but not for the second, who wasn't in the matchday squad. Northern Ireland played San Marino first, they won 2-0. Josh McGuinness came off the bench for the final 23 minutes, but then they lost 1-0 to Finland, with Josh McGuinness playing 40 minutes there. Thelo Asgard started the game for Norway under-20s against Italy, they drew 2-2, with Thelo getting a full 90 minutes. He came on for the final 25 minutes against Romania where they won 4-0 but there was no goals or assists in either of them games for Tello. Stephen Corker was with Sierra Leone and they played Sao Tome and Principe twice. The first was a 2-2 draw and the second was a 2-0 win and a clean sheet for Corker. He played 90 minutes in both games and I believe he was captain as well for both of them. Niambe and Namibia played Cameroon twice. The first was a 1-1 draw and the second one a 2-1 win with Niambe playing 90 minutes in both games too, and I believe that Namibia are actually top of their group in the AFCON qualifiers. Luxembourg had a difficult couple of games though. First off, they went to Slovakia and it was a 0-0 draw, but then it was followed by a 6-0 thrashing by Portugal. Daniel Sanani played 84 minutes in the first game against Slovakia, but that was then subbed off at half-time in the Portugal game. All of them now will be making their way back to Wigan to link up with the squad in training for the QPR game which is this Saturday at the DW for a 3pm kickoff. And as always with these match previews, I'm going to go through the form and the stats for both sides heading into the game, the who to watch plays for our opponents, and then we can look at you know who we can try and select in our team to try and get a big three points. Next up for Wigan Athletic is a game against Queen's Park Rangers, who sit 19th in the Skybet Championship with 42 points. Obviously, we have 31 in comparison because we picked up that three-point deduction. They're managed by Gareth Ainsworth since February 21st, 2023, which is their third manager of the season so far. And this season, they have played 38 matches in the league, winning 11, drawing 9 and losing 18. Overall, Queen's Park Rangers have scored 38, conceded 59, creating a goal difference of minus 21, and they've kept eight clean sheets. From the 42 points they've picked up so far, 22 have come at Loftus Road and 20 of them have come on the road. Over the most recent six league matches, Queen's Park Rangers have won one, haven't drawn any, and they've lost five, which included a 6-1 defeat to relegation strugglers Blackpool as well. And in that same period, they've scored five, conceded 16, and kept just one clean sheet. So the trajectory they're on is very, very downward. We come into this one having played 38 matches as well, but we have won seven, drawn 13, and lost 18. We've scored 33, conceded 59, so a goal difference of minus 26, which is five worse off than QPR. And we've kept just seven clean sheets. We picked up 15 of our 31 points at home and 19 of 31 away from home. But obviously there you need to factor in the three-point deduction as well or else the math doesn't quite work out. Over our recent six matches, we haven't won, we've drawn three and we've lost three. In that same period, we've scored four, conceded nine, but we've failed to keep a single clean sheet. The last time we played was on Saturday the 22nd of October where Field opened the scoring, Broadhead leveled it back up and then a couple of minutes later, Leon Balagun, who obviously used to play for Wigan, got his first goal for the club and that kept QPR top of the Skybet Championship with 30 points from 16 games. And we were down in 19th with 19 points from 16 games. So QPR have had quite the fall from grace since that game. Because since that game, they have just two wins, six draws, and they've lost 15 times in the 23 games since. So it's not been going very well for them. 
I've picked out five plays for the Who to Watch series that we do, just so we can run through and try and understand where their attacking threat is coming from. The top Who to Watch player for Queen's Park Rangers is Ilias Chair. He's 25 years old, a Moroccan forward, played 32 times this season, scored five and assisted seven. Ilias Chair signed from Lies in January 2017. He also represented his nation at the Qatar 22 World Cups, where they lost 2-1 to Croatia in a third-place playoff. Overall, they've featured 184 times for QPR, scoring 28 and assisting 29, but he has missed the last four league games against Rotherham, Watford, Blackpool and Birmingham due to a hamstring injury, but I have seen a video where he's back in training, so it's likely that he will face us this weekend. Another key player for Queen's Park Rangers is 25-year-old English forward Chris Willock. He scored six and assisted two in 23 championship games this season, so he's certainly one to watch. The forward signed from Benfica B in October 2020, and he also was an Arsenal Youth Academy product and signed for the Portuguese side in 2017 on a free transfer. He's now hit 100 games for QPR, scoring 16 and assisting 18 in that time. He has missed the last seven games due to a hamstring injury, but he is also back in training and probably will play against us at the DW. Third on the list is Lyndon Dykes. He's 27 years old, a Scottish forward who's played 30 times a season for the Hoops, scoring six and assisting two. He signed for QPR from Livingston in August 2020, but he started his career with the Australian side Merrimack before eventually moving into the Scottish Football League with Queen of the South. Overall, Dykes has played 111 games for QPR with 27 goals and 11 assists, but he has failed to score since the Huddersfield Town game at Loftus Road on November the 8th. Since that goal, Dykes has recorded two assists, one against Swansea on January 21st, and one against Blackpool on March the 14th in that big loss. Next up, we have 32-year-old Stefan Johansson, who actually got the two assists against us last time out. He's a Norwegian midfielder, signed from Fulham in July 2021, and this season he's played 24 games in the championship, scoring two and assisting six. He began his career with Bodo Glimt in the Norwegian league before he moved to Celtic in January 2014. After being sold to Fulham in 2016, Johansson was loaned to West Brom and then QPR before signing permanently in London. The Norwegian has now totaled 83 games for QPR with 6 goals and 13 assists and he is just 2 assists away from his best ever championship tally which is 8 which he secured in 2016-17 season and also the 17-18 season with Fulham. Last on the list we have Kenneth Paul, 25 year old Suranamese left back signed from PEC Zwolle in July 2022 which is in the Dutch league. And so far this season, he's featured 32 times, scoring one and assisting three. He was born in Arnhem in the Netherlands, and he began his career with the ESA Youth before eventually signing for PSV Eindhoven Youth in July 2010. He broke into their first team in 2017, but then went on loan to PEC's wall before signing for them permanently in July 2019 for three seasons. He has missed the last four games due to an injury, but again, he is back in training and most likely will play for us as the starting left back. Maloney gave a bit of an injury update this week on Jordan Cousins, who we saw was back in training from the Wigan Twitter account. He said that he's a little bit of a doubt, though, probably won't play this weekend, and so will Jack Watmore. His, his injury seems to be hanging over a little bit, most likely won't play against QPR. But Charlie Hughes is back in training, he just took an ankle knock, and he probably is going to be involved in the game. So when you're starting to look at a starting lineup, who we can play against QPR, I did like that the formation and setup that we played against Watford last time out. When we did the back three, we had the wing backs of McLean and Dariqua, and then a midfield three of Tom Naylor and Max Powermore in the sitting holding roles, with Chris Teehee just a little bit further up. Not so much as a number 10, but he was further up the field and trying to link something there. I do think if we go with that against QPR, say Ben Amos in goal, Charlie Hughes, Stephen Corker, Omar Rikik as a back three, Dariqua and McLean out on the wings, and then in the midfield again, Power, Naylor and Teehee. 
But then it's it's the attack that we're really struggling with. Sean Maloney even said in the meeting at the DW, the problem for him obviously is the final third. So there, there is a few different options that he could go with. One of Lang and Sanani up top, just kind of get a bit of pace and creativity there. Diego with Will Keane. We have Charlie Wyke available, Josh McGinnis available, Talo Asgard. You know, it could be a complete variation of all of them, but I do like the the three at the back with wing backs, three in the middle, and then try and put just two up top. And if we can get a win, the, the three points just puts us back on 34 points where we were a couple of weeks ago anyway. And after the international break, obviously everybody is playing. So on Friday night, we have Burnley versus Sunderland. And then into the Saturday fixtures, Luton versus Watford, Preston versus Blackpool. Obviously, we want Preston to win that one. Norwich versus Sheffield United, Huddersfield versus Middlesbrough, which I think Middlesbrough will comfortably beat them, to be honest, which is obviously what we want as well. Hull City versus Rotherham, Bristol City versus Reading, Coventry versus Stoke, Cardiff versus Swansea, obviously Wigan v QPR. West Brom versus Millwall and Birmingham versus Blackburn Rovers. And the bottom of the championship as it stands is Wigan are on 31 points, Blackpool on 35, Huddersfield 36, Cardiff City 39, Rotherham on 40, but obviously they also need to play each other, Rotherham and Cardiff, because their game got abandoned. So I'm not too sure what's happening with that. I haven't seen a statement, to be honest. And then QPR, who are playing, are on 42 points. But I said on the Progress of Unity podcast that I think we're going to win 3-1. I was going with that prediction for a while before. I dropped it down to 2-1 just because I know we can't score. We actually haven't scored two goals in a game since the Blackpool win on November the 12th before the World Cup. But I will go 3-1 again. I think that the international break, everything that's happened, we're going to have a bit of fighting. us, a bit more aggression. And Sean Maloney's going to hopefully have found a winning formula in that final third. So I'm going to go 3-1. I am going to the game as well, which is the first time I'll be at the DW for, for quite a while, actually, because I've been traveling around and, and haven't been in the country to be able to go. So I'm excited to be there. And after the game, I'll be back with another podcast, obviously, to talk about the game. I'll be on the Progress of Unity one as well. And I also have a, a preview coming up with the Sheffield United fans for, for their game. So there's a lot to look forward to. Hopefully we can get the three points and then there's even more to look forward to for us. Until the next podcast, thank you for listening and up the ticks.